This week's episode is sponsored by Jagged Edge Productions and ITN Studios' Winnie the Pooh, Blood and Honey 2. Only in theaters, March 26th to March 28th. The suspenseful and thrilling sequel to last year's immense hit, Winnie the Pooh, Blood and Honey, amplifies the gore factor with ten times the number of kills to put fans both new and old at the edge of their seats. After Christopher Robin reveals their existence, Winnie the Pooh, Piglet, Tigger, and Owl land on the endangered species list as hard targets. Unwilling to hide in the shadows, the ultimate scream team embarks on a murderous rampage through the town of Ashdown to get their revenge on Christopher Robin, once and for all. So don't miss out, and mark your calendars to catch the limited engagement of Winnie the Pooh, Blood and Honey 2, only in theaters March 26th to March 28th. Tickets are available now. This is the Bloody Disgusting Podcast Network. What began as a vacation ended as a nightmare. Boils and ghouls, lock your doors and strap yourselves in. From Los Angeles, California, Bloody Disgusting presents the Boo Crew Podcast. Horror news, commentary, reviews, interviews, and more. With your hosts, Lauren and Trevor Shand and Leone D'Antonio. Hey. I'm Lauren. I'm Trevor, and we are two-thirds of your Boo Crew, your weekly celebration of horror and the people that love it. That would be you. You are the person that loves it. Leo, where's Leo? Leo is not present. He's on a Boo Crew mission in uh, Kilkenny, Ireland. What? Yeah, he's on a sabbatical in Kilkenny, Ireland, and we hope that he's back with some new horror from over out that way. And he'll be back probably, I think, in three weeks. This is the last I had heard. This is the first I've heard. Mm-hmm. Of he's working on a farm out there. Doing what? You know, he's work. He got a job on a farm out there. These are rumors. It's tr- I mean, it's yeah, highly rumored, but very. I could confirm them pretty quickly. <laughs> No. We don't know where he is tonight. Yeah, I have know. a I have a theory Freaking though. Clue. I think I think he's going. He's seeing Saw X without us. No, I think there's a really good chance he's seeing Saw X. Like this late at night, if you're busy, you're probably at a movie, right? Yes. Eleven twenty-five. You're not eating dinner, right? No. You got to be in a movie, or you're at like Knott's Scary Farm. But I don't even think Knott's is open on Monday, is it? I don't think many of the haunted attractions are open Monday, I don't think. No. I could be wrong, but I don't think Horror Nights is open. Not yet. Isn't it open later in the season? Earlier. So, yeah, I think think he's at Saw X, which I really want to see. I want to see it, too. And it's playing in 4DX. Saw X in 4DX. That's a lot of Saw. Like, I wonder if the chairs, like, trap you. Like, what do they do? I don't know. It must be crazy. I mean, the, the amount of... Blood water that that shoots you away because a lot you know anyone who hasn't been in a 40x theater, it's that the chairs are loaded with smells, movement, and water somehow comes out of them. I don't know where they come out. Do they come out of the chairs in front of you? I don't know where the water comes from. It's pretty amazing that it doesn't like get in your popcorn either. It's like really well well placed but uh yeah i i really want to see it in 40x and that was directed by kevin grutert I, I think that's how to say his name he's a rock star editor and he's been editing saw movies since the first one he's done this is his seventh that he's edited and he's directing this one and he's also uh, edited the strangers and, and cobweb most recently and he also worked on james cameron's titanic wow 
Yeah. So you're in good hands with Saw X. This uh, this week on the episode, what do we got here? Uh, uh, coming up in a bit, we got writer-director Juan Salas, who stops by to tell you about his new wild slasher flick, House of Dolls, on VOD Digital and Select Theaters as we speak. First of all, there's so much going on for spooky season in terms of movies, events, haunted attractions, immersive experiences. The list goes on. We checked out some things that we got excited about. Wanted to pass them along to you real quickly before we get on to that conversation with Juan. Where should we start? Experiences. We went in the Universal Halloween Horror Nights out here. That was so fun. What did you think of it compared to other years? I mean... I really liked it for a few reasons, and this would just be personal reasons, not anything that anybody else would experience, Mm -hmm. but last time, (laughs) the sitter had to leave early, so I had to leave early. I think that was the last time. Yeah, that was. And I was really bummed that I missed out on a lot of mazes. And the thing is, what what they've done on Universal the past few years with that addition of that mid lot it's kind of in between the upper and lower you kind of walk outside the park around the harry potter attraction and you walk down this long sort of uh, almost like behind the parking structures i think i don't know what it is but you're out there in the ether and you you make this long uh long processional down to where child's play and the universal monsters unmasked i think it was yeah. called this year those mazes were and that kills a lot of time Yes, that is a time suck. And there is a lot of those instances where you're walking down the the escalators at Universal. Oh my god! Can we time them once? It's like fifteen or twenty minutes just to get down all the all it's the escalators, forever. right? So there's a lot of walking there. So you know, although there may be you know I don't know eight or nine mazes or whatever there is, it feels like about that amount. But you think you'd be able to nail each one very quickly, relatively quickly, if you had like a front of line pass or whatever, if you shelled out for that. But with all that walking in between, that night gets really long and really late. So it yeah, does. You, you were screwed out of quite a bit of mazes last year. So I really was. We planned in advance. We're able to get the sitter to stay as late as she, as she could. And we went and basically went to every single maze. That's so fun. I will say though, I will say this year, my only gripe is uh, the customer experience. I think that the event is being oversold. And usually, like, we shell out for the, we, we splurge on the front of line pass. Which is not cheap. Which is not cheap at all. So, that that's a big deal for us. So, when we go and do this, and we do this, you know, once a year, save up, splurge on, on Halloween Horror Nights. This is the first time that we've ever waited in pretty long line. I think we waited in an hour long line in front of line. For Chucky, yeah. Yeah, for Chucky. There was a couple mazes where it was pretty long. So what was the non-front of line line like? I think the longest was 180 minutes, according to the app. How many hours is that? Where's Leo with his freaking well, math? 60 minutes in an hour or two would be... Hold on. Like, we're, like the, we, we are so stupid when it comes to math. Oh, yeah. 180... <laughs> 60, three hours. Three I guess hours. that's pretty obvious. You Everybody's know, like, you, you idiots. Yeah, you idiots. Yeah, it's exactly like what they can't yeah. forget. How did they we're pass the high school? We're the worst. Like, how did they yeah. get through elementary? You guys are idiots. Okay, listen. I, we have been up 
so early with like four kids. Oh, yeah, My yeah, brain yeah. is just fried. Hey, our brains are always fried. Even if we weren't that, we still wouldn't know I that know, answer. I, uh, I was still gonna. True. You're just making excuses. I am. <laughs> I am. But anyway, 180 minutes, three hours for a maze. That's most people's whole night. That's right. So yeah, I think I think that the event is being oversold. I mean, hey, I can't blame them. They need to make money, and I bet Horror Nights is a huge money maker for the How Universal theme park. Be? How could it not be? But I will say. The mazes were among the best that I've ever experienced throughout all my years of going to not uh, to, to not sorry to Universal since uh, since I moved here in 2005 when we started going. Yeah, they were really creative, and I got scared a lot, which doesn't always happen. Yeah, and they were they were using using new techniques in their mazes. I think it was the Exorcist, the Believer maze. Or the Stranger Things maze. One of the two where they used the false wall. It was like a scrim. Oh, yeah. And it looked like just like an actual wall. But then when they hit it with a certain amount of light, that wall disappeared and you saw a scene with live actors through it. I love that. And I've seen Knots do that for, for years. And it was nice to see that kind of being brought over and adapted by Universal too. Just added a whole new dimension. Any other favorite mazes that you had? I mean, Exorcist Believer was a really good maze. Yeah, that was. I really loved Evil Dead Rise. Oh, it was so good. I love that movie, so it made sense that I would love They did that a maze. great job at recreating key scenes from that movie in really inventive ways, like involving the elevator. Yeah. Right? Like the elevator filling with blood and the person hanging down from, you know, being uh, tied up with all the... What are they called? Yeah. Cables in the yeah, elevator? Yeah. yeah. They did a great job at that. And then I loved being able to walk into the bedroom where they're listening to the incantation on the record players yeah. and the living room of the apartment because these rooms were massive and they used the space so well to make you feel like you were right there in that apartment. They did. Uh, it was amazing. It was really cool. I really enjoyed the Blumhouse prop exhibit. Oh, yeah. Which was part of a show. Blumhouse behind the scenes in the Shrek Theater. Now the, is it Kung Fu Panda? Is that what's there? I think so. Yeah. Uh, that was really cool to see. They had like a life-size Megan doll, which if you look at it up close, it looks so realistic. And yeah, it's, it's the one they use in the movie, right? Yeah, it was amazing. Props from the Black Phone, Freaky, Happy Death Day, what else? Uh, I think th- I think that was it that they had. Oh, Five Nights at Freddy. But yeah, they had all the animatronics. That was cool. Yeah, built by the Henson Henson people there. Yeah, that was really cool. And then they showed this little clip of Five Nights at Freddy in the theater and a clip of some of their other films. And then all these Megans came out and danced. Yes. And we were like hooting and hollering. It was awesome. I'm it was sure like really funny you and terrorizing. If you can't go, you can probably find on youtube oh, videos yeah. of it it's really fun yeah it was awesome what else did i like i like that they have the death eaters walking around hogsmeade now they have the whole harry potter area open it's really fun to see at night yeah all the snow-capped buildings in that area and the shops and everything and then to be able to go and ride the the harry potter forbidden journey one of the best dark rides ever created is nice that they incorporate that now and what else? There was another maze I wanted to shout out. Oh, the Chucky maze. Yeah, that was incredible. How they, this is the first year, I believe the first year, where they actually used like an animatronic, animatronic Chucky's. 
instead of someone in a Chucky outfit or wearing a Chucky mask. Yeah. It was all animatronic Chuckies, and they were working with, for the most part, live actors being killed. Yeah. And that, I mean, that was phenomenal. It was really exciting because... I felt like I was in the film because it wasn't just a person like you said, walking around with a mask. It felt like a really possessed doll was right in front of me. Holidays in hell was also amazing. Yes. There was a lot of smells in that one, like Christmas and Easter, Easter. smell like candy. Yeah. And there was one where there was a, like a butcher. I don't know what it was, but like Scarlett, our daughter was like gagging. Where was that? It was part of that one. I think. Like someone was like cutting things or something. There was like, there's a kitchen scene. Oh. You know what I didn't really like? And I mean, I'll probably okay. get like skewered for this is the last of us. I'm just not into that. I'm just not yes, into the last of us. We've already right? established. Yeah. yeah, we've already talked about, I've already talked about that. But, but yeah, hey, if you're listening, you might not have heard my rant about that show. It's just not my thing. And the maze wasn't my thing either. But yeah. people who love the show love the maze. Right. So there you go. Oh, I want to also mention. Before we get off the the Halloween Horror Nights thing is in the Blumhouse thing the, where they have the prop displays. They have the two chairs from Exorcist Believer, which is really cool to see. If you've seen the trailer, you know these two chairs we're talking about where the two girls are kind of side by back to back sitting on these chairs during the exorcism. So that movie comes out at time of release this Friday. If I, I, I totally forgot this. This is part of a trilogy. So the second one is already slated for 2025. That's Exorcist Deceiver. And there's going to be another one after that. I don't know if it follows the story of these two girls, if that continues or or what the story is, but we'll see. We'll see. So go check that out this Friday. Uh, What are we doing this weekend? We're going to do knots. Yeah. I'm so stoked for knots. Me too. They kill it every time. They're bringing back a maze that I really love. Grimoire. Oh, that was which is kind of like their version of, because the interesting thing about knots is they don't have any IP to work with, meaning their mazes aren't based on existing movies. So they have to be more creative. Yeah. They're very creative in, in terms of inventing new things, their own thing. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of ingenuity involved. And so this was kind of like their, their version of uh, the, the Necronomicon thing, a, a demonic book that unleashes, you know, hell basically in, in a camp setting. So this one, you actually enter the maze through a tent is such a cool illusion. It's so crazy. And it, part of it turns to black and white. Uh, yeah. It's amazing. I can't, I literally, I can't, I get chills thinking about it. I can't wait to just immerse in that. So yeah, we're going to do that this weekend and uh, yeah, we'll tell you all about it. If you're in the LA area, that's something. Maybe, if you're not in the LA area, you could live vicariously through us. And I'm sure there's walkthroughs now of every single maze sure. on YouTube, which is great. Uh, and Delusion. We haven't done Delusion yet. That's an no. immersive theatrical experience in the LA area held at a historic mansion out in Pomona. And that's happening uh, until November 12th. It's called Nocturnes and Nightmares. Each year is a different theme. And I believe this one's kind of like a remix of past experiences so we're looking forward to check out that tickets range anywhere from 94 bucks on weekdays to 155 uh, for vip on weekends all right let's bring that uh, it brings us to movies now that was a great segue right that was the clunkiest shit segue actually <laughs> this is why i get the bad reviews hey, mr mr oh mr God. radio voice 
I'm always told I sound like a cheesy DJ, so I didn't do any prep, so I sound like a very bad DJ, I guess. You work in radio. <laughs> yeah. I don't know how I ever got hired at a radio station. I uh, clearly know nothing about what I'm doing. Oh <laughs> this podcast gosh. is proof. All right. Uh, well, you, you exposed me to a movie that I had never heard of, and I love when this happens because I get to go in completely blind. Run from 2020 on Hulu. Hulu. Directed by Anish Chaganti, starring Sarah Paulson and Kiera Allen. It's about a girl named Chloe who's raised by her mom in complete isolation since she was born. But as a teenager, she's starting to explore her mother's secrets. Blew me away. I was blown away. I couldn't see where this is going. And the, I mean, the twists were incredible. And I was there for every minute of it. It started off super strong. I loved the the woman who played uh, Chloe, Kira Allen. She was great. She had a lot of heavy lifting to do in this film. And Sarah Paulson, as usual, is just terrifying. So the interesting thing about Kira Allen is that she has used a wheelchair since 2014. And the filmmakers wanted to cast a disabled actress and... They thought that Hollywood doesn't always do that. And so they were really lucky to find her because she's so great and they wanted it to be accurate. Wow. I had no idea. Yeah. Well, if you haven't seen this movie or heard of it, go check it out. I know we're, we're kind of not telling you too much about the plot, but again, we want you to discover its secrets and enjoy the experience yourself. It's an awesome spooky season watch. Anything else to add about Run? Um, I don't want to give too much it's hard right it's hard away. to tell like I, I in, in, in one sense like i don't in one sense i don't enjoy doing the movie conversations because it's a struggle not to give like i don't like listening to movie conversations and people talking about movies that give away too much of even the plot basically i'll say that i found out about this movie on social media like i saw a clip and it was like i wish that that clip i hadn't seen because mm. it had told me so much about the film but because i did see that clip i was like "Ooh, this looks good so i guess like i don't know maybe it was a good marketing tool because it's it got me sucked in to pick it for us to watch but at the same time it was big spoiler and i'm not gonna do that to you listening another one you're gonna want to check out nantachka khan's totally killer that comes out on prime video friday it is so damn fun. Oh, I love it. It is so good. So this is Kiernan Shipka, Olivia Holt, Julie Bowen, Liana Liberato from Scream 6, and a movie called The Beach House, which you should check out if you haven't already. Wow, what a blast. It is crazy. You can't go wrong with Sabrina Spellman, first of all. That's true. Kiernan Shipka is outstanding in everything she's She can she's do in. no wrong. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it... It's brutal. It's gory. Yeah, I was surprised by how vicious and gory it was. Yeah, it's just, you see it all many times. Yeah, so it's a time-traveling slasher story where Kiernan plays Jamie, who accidentally travels to the 80s to team up with her teenage mom to take down a killer. And the mask is awesome. It kind of looks like Max Hedrum. Do you remember Max Hedrum? Mm-mm. I'm a little bit older than you. But I've Max Hedrum, Max Hedrum was a big deal when I was when I was a kid. 
Don't you remember? Like he was like the face of Coca-Cola for a while. Mm. He was like a computer generated head in a TV with a bunch of different multicolored lines around him. Oh. And he would like stutter like, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a Max Headroom. Um, what did he do? He was just like, I don't know, like a character. I, I forget where he was started. If it was, if it, uh, like if it came before or after the Coca-Cola thing. I don't, I don't think he was created for selling Coca-Cola. He had his own TV show. Mm. Like it was like a post-apocalyptic TV show. I, I believe it. I mean, it aired in Canada. I'm assuming it aired down here. I remember I was on a trip with my parents to the States, to Boston, and we stayed in this hotel and we were watching TV. I don't know if it was a game, a football game or something, but somebody hacked the feed of the television network. And we're sitting in the hotel room with my parents and the game abruptly stops. And this person dressed as Max Hedrum, very crudely filmed. Like you can see, it looks like in their basement or something. It was an actor, just a guy with a, with a, with a rubber mask on of Max Hedrum. And he was like throwing Coke cans and swearing and uh, sticking his butt out and getting people to smack his butt. And I was like scared. I was like, what is it? My parents were like, what the hell? Because we're just little kids. And it was inappropriate. I was like, what is this? And I was like traumatized by it. And you can look up this thing. I I believe there's video you can still see on YouTube. It's very creepy. It's one of these things. that I don't even know if they ever found out who did it. But they actually, some people hacked the satellite feed and put in whatever they were doing on this, this Max Hedrum thing they were doing. Yeah. It was terrifying. If you remember that DM us at, at tales from the boot crew and let us know if you were as freaked out as I was. Cause I've carried that memory with me forever. But anyway, so the killer looks extra creepy because that mask looks exactly like the rubber Max Hedrum mask that this guy was wearing. So they added like an earring. Yeah, I like the earring. It's a nice Yeah, it's a nice, it's a very nice touch. Yeah, if you're a fan of Chris Landon in particular, freaky, happy death day to you, this is your jam. It's got that similar energy and viciousness, and it just scratches that fun Halloween itch. I love it. Yeah, it's a great, it's a great one. It's a great one. So check that out. Brian Duffield's No One Will Save You on Hulu. You've heard us chat with Brian on a previous episode. You've seen this movie likely spread all over social media. Everybody's talking about it. If you haven't got on the bandwagon yet, definitely do so. It is extraordinary through and through. Very little to no dialogue. Incredible alien design by the folks at ADI, Tom Woodruff and his team, the alien films, Predator, they know what they're doing, and it's very, very scary, especially in this era that we are right now, the disclosure era. Uh, yes. And people like David Grush, former military and Secret Service people coming out, revealing secrets, yeah, alleged secrets, government Although- secrets of... Alien cover-ups. All the whistleblowers. Yes. Which you are so into. Oh my gosh. Lauren is so into this. I'm so upset. It's pretty much all she talks about. No, I talk about other stuff. Yeah, but it's pretty much all. It always comes back to, you know, I wonder what 
Jeremy Corbell would think. Oh my gosh, I say that a yeah, lot. Yeah, we got to do another show with Jeremy Corbell. I'm He's just... like the mega spokesperson of all this stuff. Do we get so so much information? It's so fun to follow his socials. I get just so angry because I want to know the truth. Like I am ready. Yeah. And I believe that there is something out there. I think that there's something here. Mm-hmm. And like 10 years ago, if I said that, I feel like a lot of people would think I was crazy or I would actually be like, yeah, you're freaking nuts. But the government is telling us that there is unidentified objects that they have. They have biologics. You know, this is real. And I just, I want to know because I hear so many different theories and I don't know which are real. It's hard to think, it's hard to accept, for me, it's hard to accept that all these people who are coming out, former military, why would they all be just raving lunatics and making things up like this? It just doesn't add up for me. I don't know, but I do feel like like somebody's got to be lying somewhere because there are different... All right, there's so many different theories, theories, right? And I'm just like, which one's real? And I just like... I get frustrated and angry because I'm like, why do certain people get to know? Like, yeah. why don't I get to know? Yeah. Like, we should all be able to know. Tom DeLong knows. Yeah. <laughs> I get so angry. Right. I just like. No, I hear you. I just want like five minutes and just be like, just like, tell me. Yeah, like I'll, off the record. Yeah, like, come I'm on, not going to tell anybody. Yeah. Like, What do you know? I just, I need to know. Because, because if they're like, there obviously are. We've been told and the government has has admitted there's stuff they're not showing us. Okay, well, if there's nothing to see, if there's no aliens, release all the footage. Show us everything. That's the weird thing, right? Because it's not. That's not the case. They're not showing us everything. You know, they won't even show, they won't even show a lot of these people who went to Congress. Yeah. What some of these videos where they would let them see it before their, the hearings. So there's something, you know, there's something going on there. Why not? Right. Yeah. I just, I want to see like. I want to know everything about them. And I just want to see like a real photo mm-hmm. of like what they look like. Cause then they're, you know, people are saying there's the reptilian aliens and then there's the grays. And, and there's then, ones who look like us. Yeah. Those creep me out the most. Right. The ones, because I'm like, wow, have I interacted with one and not even known? They're apparently a little bit taller than us. Which is that, that like, that's, Creepy too, right? Because that yeah. means like they're like us, but they're a little off. Yeah, that scares me. Yeah, that's very scary. It's scarier than an actual gray. To sure. Me. Like, are they nice? How do we communicate with them? Yeah. How do they communicate with us? Well, this movie really puts you in the position of what an invasion might really be like. Right. It it just seems as far as any movie I've seen that depicts a, an event like this. This feels like it would be the most accurate, and yeah. that makes it so scary. And we can't say enough good things about Caitlin Deaver. She's phenomenal. One of the best performances of the year, bar none. If you listening are obsessed with UAPs and figuring out, and you know stuff, or you think you know stuff, DM us. I will try. Maybe you get some former military who listen yes. to the show. They they got secrets. They want you could be the next Tom DeLong, Lauren. Oh my gosh. In the next Tom DeLong so bad and it has nothing to do with like I don't want to talk to him about him being in a band I want to talk to him about 
aliens. Right. Like, I want to talk to David Grush. Like, I want to talk to all these people. I just want to talk about aliens. Well, Tom's alien movie is coming out. That's right. This week, too. Monsters of California. I want to see it. looks fun. Yeah, he directed it. The word is it's kind of like an Amblin feel. Old school I feel, kid adventure alien movie that combines a lot of his knowledge and, and stories that he's heard over the years. That is true. That is true. I feel like remember that one episode where you kept saying outstanding? Yeah. I feel like I'm doing that with the word fun. I don't know why. I keep really? The word I haven't fun. noticed. Yeah. I I'll have to listen yeah. back to the tape. Maybe you say fun every second word. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe it's like fun size because it's Halloween. Yeah. There you go. Like... It's a fun size episode. <laughs> it is. Well, there's a new Netflix doc that bounces right off Brian Duffield's No One Will Save You, and that's called Encounters, Steven Spielberg doc. So good. Which I didn't know. I didn't know Steven Spielberg was involved in this. So there was this clip of him saying that, I believe, I saw it a while ago, so I probably should have refreshed on this, but something like he thinks that these aliens that we're seeing are just us, but 5,000 years in the future and we are coming back or time traveling. Is this so does he, is he into the like multidimensional interdimensional theories, which I have a hard time wrapping my brain around that, that they're here in a different dimension. Yeah. We just can't, see that dimension. and that bigfoot exists in, in another dimension too and can go back see, and forth me, between i'm just like that's no that's too it's, it's pretty wild right like that that that's ridiculous but i don't know maybe i'm wrong but to me i was like no but and do you think they travel through these dimensions in crafts like spaceship looking things well what are all these things that everybody's seeing these like you yeah, know, that's spheres that are flying and they have no propulsion. And so they made these vehicles that travel between dimensions. Yeah, it is. It is weird to wrap your brain around. I, I yeah, I can't. I, I see. Can't. Like I <sighs> like it to to picture them coming from outer space makes more sense, or under the water. Right, it makes more sense to me. But yeah, the interdimensional thing. I've a. Uh, I, I just can't wrap my brain around it. Is all. It, maybe someone could explain it to me and I'd get it more. But you could spend hours just thinking about all of this and not make any sense of it because that's what I do a lot of the time. Well, the documentary is cool because it, it's very recent and incorporates a lot of recent mm-hmm. revelations like the gimbal and Tic Tac videos we saw them talking about. And that's kind of the backdrop to this series that it's got unbelievable stories from high security intelligence officers. There's a naval cryptologist who pops on there and a lot of sightings by civilians corroborated by mass amounts of people there's one episode four which we haven't got to is a case i think leo was talking about this one the episode four is called believers and it's 62 students in zimbabwe remember this we saw oh, the, yeah. the trailer they saw humanoid figures in their school playground back in the early 90s and that sighting is called the most significant encounter of the 20th century they had a harvard uh, Harvard doctor go out there as well to talk to the kids because so many of them were traumatized by this alleged experience. So I'm looking forward to going down that rabbit hole. That case sounds particularly disturbing. Yeah, I can't wait. So we're looking forward to that. And, oh, and to, to let you know, we should develop like a rating system where films and, and things that you see that you don't fall asleep in 
get a super high rating. <laughs> like that's the max. Oh, that's my like gosh. the 100% Rotten Tomato rating. And you did not fall asleep, doze off, anything during run. That's right. And we watched that latest as shit and you just fucking, you were with it the whole time. So that tells you anything. <laughs> I yeah. mean, it tells me a lot. It tells you. It tells me a lot. It, sometimes I just, I can't. I get it. A lot of people feel the same it. way. I, it's so horrible because sometimes I'm really into something and it's not that I don't like it or I'm bored. It's just like I can't control it. I just yeah. feel like, oh my gosh. Yeah, eyelids get heavy. You have no control. Yeah. A lot of, and also you're relaxed. Yeah. You're most relaxed. You're like, chill. Put on a movie, boom, gone. Yeah, yeah. there's memes about this. So it's, you're, not, you're not the only one. You're not the know. only one. But yeah, uh, for what it's worth, Lauren stayed up through every single one of these. That's crazy. <laughs> that should tell you something. Yeah, 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 yeah. All right, well, uh, we've kept you long enough with our blabbing, so let's jump into our combo with Juan Salas to tell us all about his new film, House of Dolls. Right after this, the Boo Crew will be right back. The hills have eyes. A lot. The old creep told you not to get off the road. What began as a vacation ended as a nightmare. Why are you doing this? That was a bad mistake. have eyes a night of terror a day of vengeance where no one was spared kill a babe me! they fought back anything was a weapon the family dog to the family car it's working the story of an american family who lost everything except the will to survive the hills have eyes they wanted to see something different, but something different saw them first. Rated R. Under 17, not admitted without parents. Go ahead, scream. That's all we need. Another victim crawls onto the gurney for a Boo Crew autopsy. Joining Bloody Disgusting's Boo Crew via the Speakeasy Studios, a talented and hardworking filmmaker whose early work went from making music videos for local Dallas artists before working with some of the biggest names in EDM, hip-hop, and rap, including Grammy nominees Playing Skills and Rick Ross. He then made a handful of short films and features like the five-time award-winning The Wolf Catcher and earning Best Director for the documentary Mr. Lee, 20 Years of Power. By 2021's The Devil's Ring, he got a distribution deal with Gravitas Ventures, which catches you up to today. His latest adventure is an extremely wild horror slasher whose cast includes the iconic D. Wallace and Miko Gattuso from A24's Euphoria. Three estranged sisters return home to collect an inheritance and end up in a gory, no-holds-barred blood fest that would make Herschel Gordon Lewis happy inside of a giant pink freaking dollhouse. All right, House of Dolls is on VOD Digital and Select Theaters on October 3rd. We are honored to welcome its writer-director, Juan Salas. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Thank you for having me. Man, of course. Thanks so much for hanging out with us and congrats on the film. We had such a great time with it and you got yeah. to experience an audience experiencing that, right? You said that the premiere, the world premiere was in a theater That's in New right. York, right? 
right? Yeah, last night in New York, we had the world premiere, and it, it was insane. It was awesome. Nice. Hear the reactions, you know. It was it was definitely an experience. It was awesome. Yeah. So that yeah. was that. That was was any cast there? Anybody part of the team get yeah. to experience it for the first time with with an audience? Know. Yeah, Miko Gattuso stopped by. He did stop by to hang out with us. And uh, yeah, the, the crowd loves him. You know, he's from New York. So uh, yeah, the, the crowd went wild for him. It was, it was definitely an amazing experience. Oh, that's amazing, man. What did you learn from watching that movie with an audience? Was there anything that stood out to you that maybe, you know, you didn't expect that an audience would react to in certain yeah, ways? You know, uh, yeah, it, it was definitely an experience, you know, especially from, you know, from a director's point of view, because... I wasn't really watching the movie. I was watching the crowd. Sure. And you know, seeing how they reacted. And uh, it was so cool. And it was surprising on some elements because I was like, I thought you would have seen that coming. And it was like, whoa. And I was like, okay, cool. So having seeing it with the crowd was definitely an experience. Uh, that It was definitely amazing with this first crowd. It was sold out last night in New York. And tomorrow night, we're sold out in Dallas, Texas, my hometown. Uh, so, and then LA, October the 3rd. So one after another, I, I can't wait to see how people react to it, you know, uh, in general. So we'll start at the beginning. Just go back a bit to your formative years. Uh, what sure. was your earliest memory of being exposed to the horror genre and how did it make you feel? Oh God, Chucky. I was Chucky. traumatized for years. <laughs> I was traumatized for years. You know, the eighties, it is there. It's very practical with all their stuff, you know, and I'm like three, so I see Chucky coming out of like Chucky two coming out the classroom like, hey man! I was like, holy shit! I could not watch a horror movie for a while. I'm, I'm talking about ten years probably. That was my dad got me to watch it, and I remember him taking me to go watch Chucky uh, Child's Play three in the theater. So I don't know why I went back, but that was my earliest experience with horror, you know. And of course, then into the '90s, I was a little older. And, you know, I became a huge fan, of course, Scream. I know what you did last summer, Urban Legend. But my first, ex- first exposure was definitely Chucky. I don't I won't forget that. That's a, and that's a great one, too, because especially as a kid, I can't really think of uh, another a horror movie besides maybe like Elm Street or something that really captures like yeah. the magic of cinema, bringing this doll to life in ways that as a kid, you probably couldn't even wrap your brain around. No, no, it was traumatizing. I'm telling you, I think a lot of people. Came out of that a little. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, we've got some good creators out of that, you included, man. So, But that said, I think it's pretty obvious that you are a huge cinephile yourself. I'm, I'm curious, what are some of the filmmakers who have inspired you along your journey? And is, is there any common thread that they all have in common that has kind of ended up in your own style and aesthetic because yeah. of your appreciation for it? You know, I think everyone... You know, Steven Spielberg, you know, that that sets everyone off, you know, seeing a dinosaur on the first on the screen. for the, That was amazing. As as far as horror and inspiration, as I got older and into film, I started realizing who's making these movies and why and so on. I think, you know, it's very granted. Wes Craven was always a part there because I remember the people under the stairs. I used to watch that. The Hills Have Eyes with D. Wallace. And then he went on to make Nightmare on Elm Street and then Scream. Wes Craven has always been there. And I didn't connect it until later with his movies. So that was always an influence. As I got older, I think Darren Aronofsky really stuck, especially with Requiem for a Dream. Now, I know it's not a horror movie, but again, it was horrifying. Once you got into it, I was like, holy shit. 
And then following his work with Black Swan, that was very, you know, I, I follow his work a lot. I love the grit, the grittiness of it. Uh, like Black Swan. Oh, my God. Black Swan. That was the first time I had a panic attack in the theater. Oh, that's in the great. Middle of it, you know, when it went crazy, I was like, holy shit. And I was like, what is happening? And man, I don't even want to talk about Mother because that one was <laughs> amazing pieces of work. But he gets it out of you. But Black Swan. I don't know if you consider it a horror, but it was horrifying, you know, when, when she started going crazy in the room and I was like, oh my God, I started having a panic attack. I said, I need to take a second. So I had to get myself together for a moment, but um, Jerry Aronofsky definitely stuck as a director. Of course, David Fincher, anything Fincher does, you know, amazing work. Those two artists, I would say definitely, of course, Alfonso Cuaron, he does incredible work, but if anything, I think, uh Darren Aronofsky his work is definitely incredible uh, I always watch all his stuff for sure yeah are there, are there any uh particular slasher films that inspired you to write and direct this film yeah yeah you know again in the 90s the 90s slashers <laughs> they were they were particular because they weren't as practical or explicit as the 80s you know you have Scream you have I Know What You Did Last Summer Urban Legend I grew up on those and uh, those were very inspiring. And uh, I think it was until I saw the remake of the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, the one with Jessica Biel. Yeah. And I was like, I want to make a horror movie because the nineties were, you know, they were nineties, but once we went into that era of the two thousands, there were more music video. They looked like very polished Texas Chainsaw. The remake was very polished. So man, I just loved that movie. I loved it. And I was just like, you know what? I want to make my own slasher one day. So I was always planning it, even though I went off to do like four indies that weren't hard. One of them was kind of, I always want to do a slasher, but I would say Texas Chainsaw, the remake, it was, uh, it really caught my attention. Of course, the original was a classic, you know, that's, that's a classic. And, um, but you know, in, in the, in the mid two thousands, you know, they had that and then they remade Friday the 13th, very polished pieces of work. Then, you know, now you come into your, uh, you know, your elevated horror. So watching it hard change and grow has been amazing. But as far as slashers, to answer your question, I think it's a given scream as my, is my favorite, you know, being in the mid nineties, you know, scream was when it came out in the nineties. I mean, you knew it was, it was everywhere. It was everywhere. It was amazing. It was all people talked about. So I could, I can definitely say that the scream franchise is probably my favorite slashers mm. for sure. With the, with all the movies that they were referencing, when you saw that movie at the time, when you saw Scream, were you familiar at the time with a lot of the movies they were talking about, or did that movie inspire you to you go know, back and see a lot of those too? You know what? As a film, you know, growing up like that, I started noticing some of the references, and I was having fun with it. That that's that that was the beauty of the Scream movies is that you could have fun with it, and it didn't have to be so explicit, so sure. to say. You know what I mean? And, you know, when you watch House of Dolls, my current movie, you'll probably see, you know, inspirations here and there as far as you don't need to be so explicit with it, but other than have a great time with it. And that's what was Scream was, the references. I caught those. and I was like, great, you want to go back and watch it? You know, with Randy, especially the Randy character. Yeah. You know, going on to Scream 2, I think Scream 2 was, that was definitely engaging. I think that was the best one out of all of them because it's, I'm not saying it followed the standard ropes, but it, you get there in, in a different way. You know, a lot of horror movies, there's so many horror movies, but it's how you get there. 
and Scream 2, yeah, they're, they're, they're fun movies. They're very fun for sure. Yeah. I want to rewind yeah. a little bit too, just, you know, talking about yourself, seeing Chucky as a kid and growing up, just loving cinema and, and the filmmaking process. What steps did you take for you yourself to get involved in this? What was the first time you picked up a camera or the first time you, you tried something yourself? Right on, right on. So I'll tell you this one funny story. It was a funny story. Well, the one time I tried to get a, Mac, a camera, I was a kid. They were selling them at McDonald's, right? A camera. Come on, I'm a kid. I'm like, this is going to work. This is going to be great. I get the toy and it's like, it doesn't work. <laughs> of course not. <laughs> I can't record anything. So like 10 years later, 15 years later, I decided to sign up to the Art Institute of Dallas. And that was my first exposure to like media and the camera. I was terrified of the camera, but you know, uh, the Art Institute of Dallas showed me a lot, a lot of great teachers and professionals that worked in the industry. So that was my exposure right there to it, you know, to pursue it. Uh, and from there, I didn't, you know, it's, it's a dream to make a movie for everyone. But you know, once you get in the mix of it, I got kind of thrown into music videos. Mm-hmm. And I think there is where I started kind of building a sort of polish to where I would be going, things like that. Got it. Got it. So uh, you mentioned uh, like on your path leading up to House of Dolls, you you have dipped your toe in the genre before a little bit. You co-produced that movie, uh, Hell of a Night, and you wrote and directed the Sleep Paralysis movie, uh, Alp, in 2015. So what do you enjoy about telling a story through the lens of horror that hits just a little bit different? You know what I like about horror is that there's an audience for everything and you can kind of do anything, you know, with drama, you got to stick to drama with comedy, you got to stick to comedy with horror. There's everything for, and it could be anything for anyone and you can make mistakes. You can go at it. You know, I think that's the beauty of it. And you see people like James Wan, how he came out with saw and then he went on to the conjuring. It's like, wow. So definitely along those lines. Right. Right. Well, uh, right, right here, man, we got, this incredibly unique movie centered around this house and these three girls. What were the first ideas and images that kind of came into your mind to inspire this, the whole inception of this idea? You know, uh, it's it's, it's kind of another funny story. So with, with each of my movies, I want to tell a story before I tell what it's actually about. Yeah. You know, it's important to to tell a story. So the funny thing is one day I was, me and my sisters, three sisters, were arguing about an inheritance. And I was like, <laughs> Sounds familiar. I left and I started writing a script. And um, that's where it came about. And then uh, uh, I was filming The Devil's Ring. I was finishing The Devil's Ring in, in Los Angeles. And I came across this dollhouse uh, set. And I was like, let me just go check it out. I went to go check it out. We just did some, te- did some test footage. I didn't know what I wanted to do exactly, but I knew the story was there. And I thought, you know, things just kind of rolled from there. Basically. I wanted to tell a very human story um, with the backdrop and then horror just came into it. When I found this dollhouse, I was like, wow, this would be amazing to take people out in, you know? Wow. Very, very- so you had already started the script idea, the concept the idea and the concept before you saw the actual dollhouse set yeah, idea. I just knew that I needed a, a cool backdrop that hasn't been really seen. And uh, that's what played into that. Yeah. But first wow. and foremost was a story. Have a good story. Interesting. So, okay. Going a bit ahead to the dollhouse itself. So the exterior of the house and the interior, those two completely different, different things. 
Oh no, it's um, it's actually a house. A lot really of people, uh, use it. The Backstreet Boys film there. It's it's a pretty cool, popular spot in in L.A. Wow, that's so cool. Yeah, yeah, but um, but there's definitely additions that I added, like a basement, things like that. that yeah, probably weren't in the house. Yeah, got yeah. it, got it. So in that process, like once you got inspired by, you know, you took the idea of the story to this basically location, and you had that location in mind. How did the location influence the rest of the writing? Well, it, I think it just complemented it. You know, it, it's about three sisters, a pink house. You know, so it was there, and it was more so about the human interaction, right? the set pieces definitely complemented it the you know something's not right you know when you when you walk in there it looks like a giant dollhouse basically like a yeah. barbie so yeah it started throwing things around and that's actually what made the killer because the killer i knew he was gonna be a killer i just didn't know how he was gonna look yet right you know and now when i saw the house then things started just rolling and um pink became a theme i'm like okay well he's gonna have to have a pink mask you know and then when you watch the movie you kind of see it but they, the house very much influenced the story of it and really flourished it for me. And it was an awesome experience for sure. Wow. So designing that that mask and everything, it's a really cool design. Anyone who hasn't seen the poster, Google yeah. it. Look at the poster. It's, it's very striking. You haven't seen a, a slasher quite like this before. Uh, it's kind of got like a balaclava. There's spikes all over it. The character can bash people with his head. There's all sorts yeah. of things. He's got a, like an S&M kind of jacket. Well, yeah, t- take yeah. us through like the actual design of the, when you get down and, and dirty, the, the, the conceptual yeah. design of the exact look. Like who helped you or did you do it yeah. yourself? And Oh, wow. Yeah. Tatiana, she's our uh, special FX artist. She did all the gore for it. Oh, wow. So we wanted to make something that would, you know, catch your attention. A lot of, you know, there's a lot of slashers these days and it's always what a guy in a suit and a mask. Right. I mean, we, I love horror. That that's, that those are the basics. You know, that's where John Carpenter started with Halloween. So we knew it'd be along those lines. And we did, we went through about four different outfits till we finally got to that one. And again, the house was really influencing me and I knew, okay, well, pink could be something. And I started thinking, like, who is this guy? What is this guy? And as you see the movie, you'll, you'll, you'll see traits that will kind of give you a hint as to why he did that. Mm. It was definitely a fun, creative process with me and Tatiana. Uh, you know, a lot of trial and error of what's going to work, what's not going to work. But I am very happy of where it did end because it, it's like a rock. He's like a rocker, you know? He's, he's, he's like a rocker. He has spikes and stuff. Yeah, yeah. So... I would say the house very much influenced into that. And I just knew I had to go dark with it. So it really just came about. Oh, and actually, I was like, if I was a killer, where would you go buy a mask? You know, because I was trying to figure out how to make one. I was like, I need to go make one. Like, who's, what's, what's he going to do? So the only thing accessible thing was like a ski mask, right? Yeah. yeah. At every store. I'm like, if you're a killer, where are you going to go? You're not going to order online or something. So I'm like, you're probably going to go to a store. So there's a ski mask and I was gonna get a black one now like everyone uses. And then I was like, there, there's a pink one right there. And I was like, okay, cool. So we grabbed that and I was like, it needs something, you know? And again, I just figured we got to go dark with it. So the whole rock star image just came to mind mm. and that's how it just rolled up. And I just thought this, this will look great. I also like how the mask maintains the continuity of what's going on in the story too he wears the you know the different the different things that happen 
They're on his mask. Yeah. They're on his outfit for the whole film, and it kind of it increases and changes throughout the movie. Oh, yeah, that and you maintain shit, that. Man. Yeah, I wanted to talk about that because yeah, you maintain it throughout. Oh shit! It was hell. It was hell. And then you know, working on a budget too. We don't have a bunch of masks. Yeah. We had to shoot Lanier. We had to shoot Lanier because they're tedious to design. And then, but yeah, yeah, it was tedious, and we had to stick to it as much as possible. But that was the idea. Um, in the progression of the film, you see how angry he is, and hopefully that'll showcase in his face. You know, you're seeing how much blood he's going through. Yeah. So. That was the idea with that. And that's how we went about that. For and, sure. and talking about the blood, I mean, the blood looks fantastic. It's got a really unique look to it, too. And there's a lot of it, dude. There's oh, like disembowelments. There's all sorts of stuff. It's a yeah. real like, yeah, it's yeah. Like straight oh, up you. like late 70s style gore. We had to go practical with it. We had yeah. to go practical with it. I, uh, I mean, there was no other choice. There was no other choice. And, you know, we had to just get, you know, get in there. And, and I think it was the best way to go. One of my favorite practical horror movies recently was the new evil dead remake Have you oh, remember yeah. that one yeah 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 oh my it's amazing practical effects in that it was all practical i went back and watched it and it is is crazy as it was it is so brutal yeah as it was when i watched it, it i think it's one of the best remakes oh i i yeah i'm, I'm totally practical there with you yes yeah. feel the practical effects when the girl's pulling the glass out you hear it i'm like oh my god it is so brutal i i wish to go that route eventually. It's, it's like Alexander Aja, you know, the Hills Have Eyes yep, remake. Yep, right? yep. He does incredible, you know, work. But I think it's important because it makes it more real when it's practical. Me and D. Wallace were actually talking about it. When I picked her up, for, I picked her from the airport for the set. We were talking about, you know, practical effects and stuff. And she was t- telling me all about Cujo. Oh, man. And uh, I'll tell you more about that in a second. But I had to go practical with it. That was a given. I think it was the best choice. There was no other way to go. But yeah, yeah. Yeah, what was the most uh, challenging gore scene in the film? Probably the chainsaw scene. That was definitely <laughs> difficult because we had to do that twice. And then it has to look right. You know, if it's not going to help us, I'm not going to use it. You know, a lot of people, not a lot, but, you know, you see certain things and you do the best what you can. And I reached a little far there. I mean, I know, you know, and then we're independent, so we don't have special effects. We have to be safe. So... You know, with the, especially with the chainsaw. So we were very careful with everything and we did as much as we could, but I'm glad with where we ended up. I wanted to know, just yeah. going back to the writing again, writing in kind of the female voice, right? To the avatars of these three women and the grandmother. Was there any challenges of doing that or how did you approach that? Yeah. So I have a, I wrote the story, but I hired a script writer. Uh, her name is Eve. And uh, once I wrote the story, I knew that I was going to need a female perspective. Mm. I was going to bring the action, but I needed the female voice. And I hired her. She's a very talented script writer. Amazing. And the script she wrote was incredible. She wrote, you know, perspectives that I probably wouldn't have just came up off the dot. Sure. And her words definitely brought meaning to each character. I believe so that's I'm really happy with what she did with the script mm, sure. yeah no that's a really unique like yeah that 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 thread of family drama woven into this thing is a really unique take and it also is reflected in the score too because that lets the composer go and do these sweeping strings and really emotional music and then then into yeah. the horror and and then I, I think you know a big hip-hop influence you know, crams in there too, which is a really oh, yeah. cool flavor. Yeah. Yeah. You know, given my music video background, 
uh, I was wanting to see someone get taken out to a hip hop song. So that was cool. Yeah. They did a music video to it. So that kind of helped out. Yeah. But uh, it's definitely has uh, shades of my past work, you know, everything I've done up until and uh, of who I am. I definitely want to inject that into to give it its own identity. Yeah, you have a great cast in this movie, man, with Dee and uh, Miko and Stephanie and Alicia. But uh, I, was, I was curious, how did, you, how did uh, horror icon Dee Wallace get attached to this film? Okay, yeah, with Dee. So, you know, uh, my previous film, I worked with Damian Chapa from Street Fighter. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was in my boxing movie, The Devil's Ring. Uh, that was an opportunity that came across. And then I saw that Dee was, uh, there was an opportunity and I had to go for it. I didn't know if she would. And I sent her the script to her agent and they liked it. She liked it. When they responded, I was like, oh, okay, great. And uh, I got on the phone with her. She liked the script. And that's how that rolled about. And working with Dee, man, that was incredible, an incredible experience, you know, especially given who she was. I was bombarding her with questions, especially I was the one to pick her up at the airport. I had to make yeah. sure everything was perfect. So I got to pick her up and I got to ask her all these questions about the hills have eyes and about Wes Craven, about Cujo. And she's such a sweet lady. It was amazing to work with her. Um, she, she told me all these stories. So I got to hang out with her for the whole day. She, it was amazing to work with. And uh, especially seeing her work, I, I, I went back to watch uh, Cujo. Mm-hmm. And I didn't realize how intense it is, especially because I saw it when I was a teenager. Okay, crazy dog. But I watch it now as a parent and it's a whole different take. It's sure. like a whole different thing. And it was like, holy shit. So she got to tell me about all that and how the filming experience was intense. And I believe her because for our filming, she did not back down of anything. She was, she did a lot of the, a lot of everything, the action. Oh, that's great. And uh, no, she was like, no, I'm doing this. I'm running this. I'm doing that. And so it was awesome to see her at work and to work with a professional like that. It was definitely an experience. I won't forget for sure. Working with you, Wallace. And then you got Miko, who's a fascinating, he's a fascinating guy outside of his acting, right? And he yeah. brings so oh, much, yeah, he Miko. brings so much of that to his acting too. And he gets to play this yeah. police officer, which is awesome. What do you, what do you yeah. love about him as a person, man? What have you learned oh about him? God. Miko has been with me all the way. He's going, he's going, he's, he's going with us. You know, he was with us last night in, da- uh, I mean, in New York, tomorrow in Dallas and LA. He, he's a big part of this. He's very excited. Um, when I approached him, I wanted to give him something different because I saw Euphoria. You know, he has all the tats. Yeah. And so my thing with every actor is I want to challenge them. I want you to do something different that you, you wouldn't expect. He played a thug over here. Well, now you're going to be a cop. Yeah. He's like, how am I going to do that? And uh, the first day we put the makeup on him on as a test run, he was just surprised. He was on the mirror for a while. Because you always had the tats forever. Yeah, that, to talk about a makeup job, man, right? Yeah, he right when that happened, he put the suit on and he was like, let's go. He was oh. super excited and he brought that element to it. And uh, we couldn't be more happy to work with him. He's just a genuine person. Like He goes out of his way to make sure that the mission is getting accomplished. And I couldn't appreciate that more. You know, me being independent, you know, he doesn't have to be doing all this, but he is like, he's on the team. You know, he's rocking with this. And uh, we were very appreciative, appreciative of him. And the rest of the cast, too, did a phenomenal job. You've got uh, Alicia Underwood and Taylor Cox and Naomi Lopez. They're the kind of the three central women, and they each play such wildly different 
people. Tell us about the process of finding them and where where they're from. Yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, uh, Taylor and Alicia are from L.A. Uh, Naomi is from Texas. Uh, the funny story uh, with Alicia is that we were casting for the uh, Charlotte character. Mm-hmm. So that was the first character we were, we were casting for. And uh, we uh, we found uh, Alicia. And she sent her uh, her audition. The crazy thing is that the, the first phone call I gave her, I gave her a phone call to let her know she didn't get the part. Oh, no. And I said, I'm sorry, you didn't get the part. But you did such an amazing job that, you know, we're going to hold your audition off. And then I had talked to her for like five months. So she was probably like, man, I didn't get the part or nothing. And then situations happened and we casted Charlotte and then there was this new character and I, her talent was just so amazing that I knew she could do anything like actors, you know, when you give them something, it's what they do with it. Not so much as what I have to keep telling you to do. I want to see variation. I want to see what you're bringing to it. And that's what she did. So when I called her back, I'm like, Hey, uh, she was surprised. I'm like, what's up? I said, so check this out. Um, I told you we, we kept your audition on the side and now there's this role. It's actually the lead role. And then she was like, Oh wow. Okay. So that's how that played about. It was, it was, it was fun. It was, it was kind of crazy. And uh, with the other actors, they were all amazing. And we had a, for each part, they definitely brought the personality. Uh, you know, for example, with Taylor's character, Helen, the very motherly older sister, you know, it's kind of, kind of like siblings, you know, mm-hmm. the older, bro- you have the older sibling, the middle sibling who's always off the wire. Yeah. And then you yeah. have the younger sibling who learns from all from these two. So very much a family dynamic. I let those traits kind of start to define them, you know, with, you know, Helen first, the older motherly one, the caring one. Then you have Charlotte who's kind of off the wire. The middle child always does what they want. Then you have the younger uh, sibling who learns from this and you know, they're going to do a little better. Yeah. So into that, we gave them each their own, own personality. And I think they really brought it. They brought it home with that. Oh, certainly. And, as a father yeah. of, uh, as a father of four, I can uh, completely vouch for that family dynamic too. Yeah. That's how it is, man. That's how it is with kids. Yeah, exactly. So I wanted if, if people to connect with it for whatever you know, whatever you see, you know, it's very subjective. You know, it could be, you know, uh, it could be funny one day. It could be nostalgic. It could be scary. It could be many things. And I think that's the beauty of horror movies. You can do whatever you want. But at the end of the day with me, I wanted to tell a story and then bring the rest in. Yeah. And yeah. The, the, the actors, they brought it. I think each one definitely brought each character to life. And then you throw all that in the most surreal backdrop ever with the most crazy looking killer. And you yeah, gotta... and just throw it in the blender <laughs> yeah, and man, it's roll, awesome. You know? I wanted to say that, that Jack, is it Jack Rain who plays Justin? Hmm. Hilarious. Jack, yeah, Jack Rain, man. Hilarious. Badass, man. I was like, I was curious, like, was, was any of his comedic stuff just hit? Like, it seems so natural and organic. Was he just off you the cuff what? for a lot of that stuff? I let him go off the rails. Yeah. Man. He was very constricted, but I was nice. like, where did he go with it? Just And um, I threw some of the some of the actors. I was like, what is he doing? Yeah. I was just like, that's who he is. And we had a lot of fun with that, especially. And I just let him do his thing. I, I love it when it's natural. And uh, he, he's a comedian as well. So I knew he had that in him. And I let him just run with it. So we picked the, the best parts of it, but without derailing what the main point was. Yeah. But uh, 
yeah, Jack is an amazing actor. He he really brought it in. It was fun to work with him all the way through. This whole project was really fun to work with. I want to talk about just the look of of the whole thing too, the way it's filmed. What ways has your involvement and love of music and music culture crept into your style as a feature film director? Yeah, for sure. The visual, you know, music videos are very visual. So I think that's in, just implanted into my DNA. It needs to look amazing. You know, when when you saw the original Texas Chainsaw Massacre, they had amazing visuals, very cinematic that set it apart from a lot of horror films at the time, given the budget, it was very cinematic. So, and then again, circling back to the remake of Texas Chainsaw Massacre, the reason it really struck with me because it was very polished like a music video. So I think music videos are definitely in my DNA. And then the hip hop element, given uh, you know my background, it, I think it really just brings my own identity to each project. And that's important to me because we don't want to be like anything else. And I think just trying, being true to yourself for the most part uh, will bring you where you want to be, mm. hopefully. Yeah, in terms of the set decoration, uh, I was curious about the interiors of that pink house. Uh, was a lot of that your guys decorating brought in? Aside from the photos, of course, and the, you know, or, or was the you house know, the, as is? The artist of the house, um, she's an artist, the, the owner of the house, uh, she rents it out. Like again, she let the Backstreet Boys use it. There's a lot of photo shoots like for Maxim and things like that. So she does a lot of different things. So I let her already, it was already kind of designed and then she just blemished it more just to, to add things to it. So she did incredible with her design and we got to really utilize it to, you know, for us and details that she didn't really highlight yet. So the set design really came from her and she, she did incredible. Mm. And that set design kind of follows the other characters in their worlds too. And speaks on where they're coming from, like Charlotte's room, for instance, or her apartment, wherever that is with the neon writing on the wall. Like it's very Charlotte, right? You know what I mean? Yeah. Outside of the house. Yeah. Yeah. We wanted, you know, when they're in their elements, we wanted to to very much complement the character. So we definitely placed them as much as we could in their environment. Very different environments. Yeah. When you see them come together, they just, you know, they clash. Exactly. And that's what was appealing to us in, in an, an emotional story is to, to tell something that's, you know, a little different and you can connect to on a sibling level. Yeah. And again, with the look, there's times in this movie when you, exper- you experiment with color, like, you know, shoot it all in blue or reds and all these cool tones. Oh, yeah. What do you like about the effect that that gives an audience? Yeah. Yeah. You know, we want we wanted to be sure that the story was being told visually too. you know things are going okay but think things can go very wrong and with that that's how we got proceeding is to let the visual tell the story it's very pink for a little bit but then it goes you know blue when when all the action comes in and, and the, the killer's taken over you know he's here and uh I, and then of course when they exit the house they're, they're out of that colorful craziness you know and but that was the story the idea is to let the visual tell the story yeah uh, with those colors and things like that is there is there a is there a kill scene or a sequence that you couldn't film due to budget or time constraints uh i think we got most of what we wanted there was, of course if there if we had a budget we could do way more you know being an independent film you know, you have a certain amount of time to get certain things done. You can't keep doing things over and over. So you really have like one shot. And hopefully if we get a sequel, I can really do some damage. You know, uh, that's always helpful, you know, having that type of backing 
But I think where we're at, you know, forces to be creative. And I think that's even, you know, even better. But of course, uh, some, there was some cool things I still want. I wanted to do. I filmed some stuff. But I had to take it out. I was like, I got to do this a different way um, because I wanted it to be effective. Uh, but I have a couple, I have so many ideas that hopefully however things play out, we can bring it on to the sequel if it plays out. Do you have any story concepts for the sequel yet? If there, oh, if there yeah. should be one. Yeah, we have a script ready to go for part two. Yeah, oh, we have a script awesome. ready to go. I'm hoping it can really play out. Um, again, the, our crew was amazing. Our actors were amazing. Uh, it would definitely be a dream, uh, but we definitely have a story ready to go. Was there ever a name really for the, for the killer? Did you guys call the killer anything on set? You know what? Uh, yeah, we, we have a name for him. We call him Dollface. But again, my thing with the whole concept is that, you know, he's a killer. He's not going to tell you his name. Yeah. You probably won't even know it till the sequel. Right. You know, it's like Leatherface, uh, you know, right? We, yeah, we didn't call him Leatherface in the first Texas Chainsaw. Or Jason, he wasn't, I don't think he was even, well, he was, his visual wasn't in the Yeah, exactly, yeah. But yeah, you don't really know who they are until the next one. So there's definitely a bigger story at hand and what you're seeing is the middle piece of the puzzle. Got there's it. definitely a big backstory to it and there's, you know, there's definitely an ongoing story um, for sure. Uh, but we're all really excited where we are now and the reaction we get. So wherever we go, um, we're very happy with it and anything else will be a blessing. Sure. That's so cool. Did you end up keeping the costume or did anyone walk away with that thing? I have it. Yeah, nice, I have dude. It with right now. I have awesome. It. You got to get, that's got to be a new Halloween costume, man. People got to start cosplaying. Oh, oh yeah. We, yeah. I, mean, I don't want to talk too soon, but that's already in the works. Oh. We have a costume ready to go for next year. Hell yeah, man. So, yeah. Yeah. Depending how everything plays out, you know, we're really excited and we're happy with the reaction. So, you know, we don't want to think too far ahead, but in for the moment, we're definitely happy with everything that's happening. Yeah, dude. Well, that's the man. That's the that's the big dream for any horror filmmaker. Man, have have one of their characters become a Halloween costume. <laughs> that's oh, it's yeah. exciting that you guys are thinking about that. I mean, and it it is something, man. I would rock that thing, man. It looks cool as hell. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. We all had a great time again. It was a very fun project to work on from beginning to end. It was nonstop action, you know trying to make the shot work all the blood it was so much blood everywhere like getting stained and it was so much fun we had to be very creative we were all challenged creatively if one thing doesn't work how are you going to do it you know again i filmed other film horrors i mean uh other death scenes and they didn't come out how i wanted so i had to do it in a different way something that's effective so the whole process was really fun to, to work through. And overall, we're, we're very happy with it where it ended up for how, sure. How much time did you give yourself to film? We had to film it in the span of a year and a half Got because it. we're independent. I couldn't film like in a whole week. I would have loved to. Yeah. So it's uh, broken up. To, yeah. We had to film one day. I had to save up, film another, save yeah. up, film another. Then we brought the Wallace in a couple of months later. Then we brought Miko in. And then, of course, the process of editing and polishing, uh, we ended up in a good space. It's definitely a process, and it, it took me a span of about a year and a half. Naturally, a movie like that, you probably film about a week or two or something like that. Sure, sure. But um, uh, given the circumstance, I'm very happy where we ended for sure. Yeah, so now you get to sit back and kind of hand it over to an audience, right? And, and yeah. like, you know, watch it through their eyes. So what you, you had this premiere in New York, so you got Dallas coming up, and then there's one, when's the one in L.A.? 
The one in LA is October 3rd, and that's actually for the digital release. Got It'll it. be available on digital and Voodoo. You can actually pre-order now. But yes, our uh, LA premieres October 3rd. And wow. uh, can't wait to see the reactions. You know, it's each each crowd is, is going to be different. You know, New York is loud. They're different. So LA, uh, Dallas, I know they're all excited right now. And then, we're, you know, to finish off in LA, it's going to be amazing. We're all excited. The actors are excited. The fans are, are excited. So we're just kind of taking it all in and, and seeing where it goes. And then besides uh, this, anything else you got cooking on? No, right now the focus is this. Yeah. Again, the focus is this. Um, every, every movie is a learning experience. And going forward, whatever I do next, I know it has to be the next level, the next step. Whether it's a sequel to this <laughs> or another horror movie. I actually have like... I have like five other scripts. You always got to have something in the tank, but what you go forward with just depends yeah. on the circumstance, the timing and all that. But there's definitely things I'm ready for, but we're living in the moment and we know we're taking it all in and seeing how the world embraces it. And, you know, just all we can do is have fun with it. My main goal with this film was to have a film that you can enjoy. That's fun. And it's accessible was my thing. I would say, you know, again, the nineties horror movies were it for me. So I'm a huge fanatic of the nineties. And again, in this movie, you'll see, you'll, you'll recognize a couple of nostalgic things, a couple of funny things. You know, I'm a horror fan, a horror guy made it. So you're going to enjoy it. Hopefully. Well, before we go, I would just love if, if you got a recommend, if you could tell people besides seeing this movie, maybe one or two other horror recommendations that you would recommend everybody see if they haven't already. You know, and I don't have to reach back to the 80s. If you haven't seen The People Under the Stairs with Wes Craven, that was an incredible movie. I think people need to go back and watch that because it's different. You know, Wes Craven did amazing work. That's one movie I think people should go back and revisit. A horror, another horror movie. I love slashers. Let me pick a slasher, a random one. Uh, the Hills Have Eyes, the, the remake with Alexander Aha. That's a brutal, great yeah, film. Brutal. I saw it recently. Yeah. And I was like, man, it's so badass, you know? And his style. Uh, those are two uh, great horror movies I would recommend. Both, uh, by, in a way, by Wes Craven. In a way, you know? The, the, yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, I'll start with Wes, Wes Craven. Both of those. That's great, man. Yeah. That's great. Uh, awesome one. Well, man, thank you so much for, for doing what you're doing and congrats again on House yeah. of Dolls and we can't wait to see what's on the way, man. And that was the Brew Crew Podcast, episode 403. Thanks to our guest, Juan Salas. Follow at Tales from the Boo Crew on Instagram. Production tracks for this episode provided by... Our friends at Powerman 5000. That's right. Anything to add before we take off here? 403. That's a lot of That's episodes. a lot of episodes. That's crazy. I feel like we should have a party or something. Or go to a parade. At our old house, there was a lady... <laughs> And she was very strange and she lived across the street and she said that she would be willing to babysit Scarlett who was very young at the time yeah. if Trevor and I ever wanted to go out or go to a parade that was her exact words if we ever wanted to go to a parade and I was like what? is there even a parade in Burbank? Remember there's floats that were by the police station or whatever? Okay, but that's not. That's for the Rose Parade. Is that the Rose Parade? That's not here. It's not even here. There is no parade here. No. Maybe she's talking about the, the Rose Parade. Yeah. 
I guess. Once a year, she'll watch Scarlet's. We can go to the Rose Parade. <laughs> on New Year's Day. Yeah. The wonder you sleep on the, the bleachers to be able to yeah. see the fucking thing instead of just watching on TV. I, I don't know. Maybe she was an alien. <laughs> Could be. Who says that? Could be. All right. Thanks for putting up with us. Till next time, from myself, Lauren, and Leo, who's not here, is in Ireland. It's the Boot Crew saying. Sweet screams. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Boo Crew Podcast. Haunt the Boo Crew at TalesFromTheBooCrew.com. Tales from the Boo Crew on Facebook and Instagram. Follow us on Twitter at TalesFromTheBoo. The Boo Crew is Lauren and Trevor Shand and Leone D'Antonio. The Boo Crew is produced by Lauren Shand, chopped and sliced by Trevor Shand. The Boo Crew is a TSP creation, part of the bloody disgusting Podcast Network. Bye. A bloody disgusting podcast network. Home of the Boo Crew. For horror-centric interviews. SCP archives. Weekly full cast storytelling. Horror queers. Genre commentary from an LGTBQ perspective. And creepy. For disturbing and terrifying creepy pastas. Listen free wherever you stream audio and at bloodydisgusting.com slash podcasts.